Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, session number 23. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Constructor, The Best Way to Build It. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. I want to help property owners foster trusting relationships with your project teams, help you understand how to lower risk and be under budget and on schedule in your construction projects, and exceed your end user's desires. Today, my interview is with Diana Pisone. Diana is a delightful person to speak with. You'll see that the way she moves through work and life is by helping people to solve problems. She enjoys the challenge. Diana gravitates towards making workplace and team collaboration more efficient. We cover a few ways that she has always loved to do that, as well as how she does that as team principal at Ted Mudis and Associates in Chicago. She promotes a culture where the question, how can I help, is the norm amongst her 70% female team. The entire company fosters that environment so the staff can achieve their goals through learning and development, as well as provide the best service they can to their clients. Without further ado, listen to my podcast interview with Diana. Welcome to the Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it, Diana. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, well, let's jump right into the interview. First things first, you have had the opportunity to manage a group of 70% women in a male-dominated in, dominated industry <laughs> here at the Ted Moodis and Associates office yes. in Chicago. Yeah. Tell us about how you got to this point. You know, it was nothing um, designed. It was nothing intentional. It was just sort of organically happened that our office is largely comprised of women. Um, Yes, the construction real estate industry is primarily men, but um, we just were looking for the right fit, the right person to fulfill uh, designer needs or architect needs or whatever the role might be. And the people that came to us were primarily word of mouth. Uh, Someone in the industry knew us, someone who worked with us, recommended someone that they knew. And it just organically happened that our office started filling up with women. Um, And it, again, it wasn't something we were planning. It was just something that works well. Um, And again, when we look to fulfill positions, we certainly never look at a person's... um, gender that's not that's never something that is it matters to us it's just organically how it happened but um actually our most recent hire is a man so that's sort of uh poking that hole in uh, us being primarily women here but it just i think it goes to prove that we have a very um strong comfortable supportive environment that people want to work in that people want to recommend others to work in and um, it's just a really good group of people. That's lovely to hear. Um, it's, it's really interesting because people, you're right, people really don't think about, well, this person is this gender, so let me go ahead and hire. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't typically happen. Also, Even, it's slightly illegal. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and it's quite interesting that, you know, you just kind of came upon this based upon the value 
that you have and the people that you hire and the or in the word of mouth. I mean, people, you know, they kind of attract similar types of people. I was going to say like attracts like. Exactly. So that's interesting. Uh, well, let's let's dig into a little bit more about your background sure. here. Um, how did you fall in love with design and the workplace industry? So before I understood what uh, the term interior designer was or really what architecture was, I was doing it. Um, I remember the earliest childhood memory I have of being in love with design. My father took me to his office on a Saturday. He had to go there. I tagged along. No big deal. And I was probably maybe five, six, seven years old, somewhere in that range. And I was walking through from the elevator lobby through the suite over to his um, office space that was by a window. When I got there, I was always drawing. That's just how I was self-entertained. And what I drew was his office and sort of the maze I took to get there from the elevator lobby. And in my mind, my thought process was, well, there has to be a better way to design an office so children can see where they're going when they come to visit their parents. Because the panels were these like 72-inch high Hamilton original workstation panels. And my whole thought process was from that of a child. Make it better for the child. Um, so whenever I was uh, drawing or designing, as I got older and I realized there was an outlet for what I liked to do and there was a profession, I could earn money at it. Because um, when I was little, I wanted to be an artist, and I told my mom that. She's like, we'll find a way to make money at it. So this is how I found a way to make money at it. Um, it just, I, I was never drawn to residential. I was never drawn to hospitality. I was drawn to the balance, the um, uh, simplicity of office space. Not so much simplicity, but more... Um, it just seems level-headed to design an office. It seems um, almost uh, natural for me, but there's a purpose. There's um, almost like math. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's right or it's wrong. There, there's no gray in there. So you were naturally attracted to it. Yeah, there's an analytical part of, to me, of workplace design, of office design. Yeah, there's this a little bit of a creative flair, but there's a way to make things better. There's a way to make things simpler. There's a way to make things smarter, sharper, faster. So it sounds like you have an innate desire to improve the productivity of of people. Yes, absolutely. So that kind of goes back to, I'm in high school, I'm writing letters to get uh, scholarships to college, whatever little scholarships I could pick up. And I had this idea of how to make an office place better, smarter, sharper, faster. And it was um, tying together the thought process of Frank Lloyd Wright, who everyone knows, great American architect, and Frank Bunker Gilbreth, who not a lot of people know of, but um, he was what uh, an early time efficiency expert, for lack of a better term. And um, a book that was written about his life was called Cheaper by the Dozen. Mm -hmm. There was a book, there was a movie in the 30s, 40s, 50s maybe, 40s probably, and then they did a remake which in the, like, 2000 with Steve Martin that had nothing to do with the real story. (laughs) But um, basically, being an efficiency expert, it was how to do it better, how to spend less less time doing what you had to do so you could have more time to do what you wanted to do, just in a quick nutshell. 
So the thought was, okay, let's take Franklin Wright, who also had these ideas, sort of an early lead innovator of how to design places that um, spoke to the environment where it was regionally, utilize materia- materials regionally from an efficiency standpoint as well as from a, it blends into the environment standpoint. So Franklin Wright's there. And then Frank Bunker Gilbreth of how do you're going to the coffee maker. How do you, uh, you typically take um, 20 steps every time you go there and you go there four times a day. Okay, so this 20 steps take you um, a minute each time, whatever. Um, so that's four minutes a day. Well, if you could take less steps or you go there less often, okay, maybe that saves you 15 seconds a day. But 15 seconds times five days a week times four weeks in a month times 12 months in a year, how much time does that roll up to saving you? So, okay, great. What does that gain you? Well, you're not leaving the office early, but it gives you more time to make more widgets, be on more phone calls, call more clients, do more within your, let's call it eight-hour workday because you're spending less time in these walking to the coffee maker, walking to the printer, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your efficient office equation. Ah, uh, okay. So, that, okay, so that's where I started talking about this um, thought that started in high school. So I wrote this paper, um, how to combine the works of Frank Lloyd Wright and Frank Bunker Gilbreth into this total efficient office. And it was the idea of space efficiency plus time efficiency will equal cost efficiency. So SE plus TE equals CE. And it was that kind of thought. So if you design the area efficiently, that space efficient, you'll naturally, inherently become time efficient. And this actually has nothing to do with how you actually do your job. It's all the non-job related ideas. So therefore, you're being able to do more things for your company and getting more done rather than having to hire another person. Or they're making more money because you're a more productive person. So, and then you could translate that into the cost efficiency of not just the staff, not just the productivity, but also the real estate as well. So the, the cost efficiency is almost threefold. Mm. What, what I appreciate about your perspective is that not, and this may be another layer, uh, is that when you do things like go to the coffee machine or kind of break up your attention, mm-hmm. uh, there is that level of <laughs> waste, if you will, in, in attention and focus, which is kind of going into the psychological mm-hmm. perspective of things, right? Um, but I think that it absolutely integrates into this model that you're you're defining. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right in, in how you've evaluated this. So, so I think that's really cool. <laughs> there is something to be said for that breakaway time that's allowing you to detach. It's allowing you to rest your mind. So when you come back, you are more 100% in the activity in front of you. Yes. So there, there's a balance there. There's a balance, right? There, there could be uh, that purposeful breakaway. Mm-hmm. And then there's the obviously unintentional breakaway where you might get right. the pop-up of the email in the bottom of the corner of your yes. screen where your attention goes away there. Um, or if somebody approaches you and disrupts you and your train of thought is totally disrupted. Absolutely. You know, and and that, that could reduce your time efficiency. But the space, the way it's designed, 
will also determine whether that's going to take place as correct, well. Correct. So I think that's I think that's a really cool model. <laughs> I, I I and and I can think of so many other ways to <laughs> to think about how to how to apply that. And I think it's super cool. Um, so I guess kind of getting back to well, this podcast is 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 dedicated quite a lot to to lean principles and lean methodologies. Did you find yourself attracted to that um, as you were researching efficient your efficient office model? Or you know, it wasn't um, specifically the lean model. Sure. It was sort of independent of it or in parallel to it that I just found that there were these uh, synergies mm-hmm. amongst it. So it wasn't that the lean model um, inspired me to have these thoughts. It was more these thoughts were happening, and oh, there's other people that think this too. Isn't that great? Um, and uh, there, there was someone that used to inspire my father, and <clears throat> excuse me, and he was um, again a time efficiency expert, sort of. Um, he was Edward Deming, and Edward Deming, um, for those that don't know, he was um, an engineer, uh, a post World War II engineer that kind of went around to the United States automakers, again, post-World War II, and sort of came up with this idea on how to make them more efficient. And they kind of laughed at him a little bit, and so he's like, well, fine, I can go peddle my idea somewhere else. So he started peddling his ideas in um, the Asian market and was working for the automakers out there. And I think it was in the early 70s, there was um, a PBS special about him and what he was doing. And the uh, a couple, or one specific automaker in the United States, well, wait a second, why is one of our United States treasures helping the quote-unquote enemy, for lack of a better term, um, we need him to work for us. So they lured him back to the United States, and um, it was Ford, actually. And so... Deming's 14 points of management um, sort of is a, it's not a top-down, it's bottom-up and top-down all at the same time, but sort of revolutionized how Ford was working. And it's not just the assembly line, it's the management also. And I, I think, always think back to this, because when I think back to, what was it, 2008, 2009, when, uh, when so many of the American auto industry was uh, taking bailouts, from uh, the American government because we were in financial crisis at the time and they needed it, that I believe Ford was either didn't take it or took the least amount of money. And so I don't know if it was specifically because of Deming or many other reasons, but I'd like to think that he had an influence on that and his, his 14 points of management and his um, directive and supportive nature to um, Ford. Yeah, and I would I would have to just definitely caveat and say, when I first got introduced to Lean, um, I was someone who recommended to me to read the Toyota Way, which is you know mm-hmm. one of the Asian companies, if not the main Asian company that we speak of that Deming influenced, um, and those fourteen points of management, they definitely translate over into the fourteen quality management points that are in the mm-hmm. book, the to- Toyota Way. Uh, and they're not like for like. They're not exactly the same, right? But you can see the cross influence. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I think that we definitely can can speak to him and and those who <laughs> have learned from him and and improved on on that model. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, hmm, okay. So, yeah, thanks for that, that bit of lesson there. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing us back to the basics. Right, right, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I, I like what you said about um, it's not just process, but it's about management of the people. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that, uh, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the next set of questions, um, but I think that, that kind of brings us back to um, being, being a woman and, and having a voice here in the industry. Um, I want to ask you specific questions about, you know, how you manage your team a little bit sure. later, but how, how, do you, how do you think that um, the approach to efficiency and the approach to better management are improved um, or are influenced by women in general? You know, honestly, I've never, um, I don't know if it's the way I was raised or just inherently who I am. I've never really looked at it, how a man manages, how a woman manages. I look at it, how a person manages another person and whether they've had the right instructions and training or they've sought out learning models to be a better manager or a better team person. So Honestly, I, I don't look at it, man versus woman doing something. I just look at it as, is it the right person? Because just like someone who might be really good at something, may be really bad at teaching other people because they've never learned how to teach. It doesn't mean they're... So you have these great architects, and they go to teach a class, and you have a class who's excited to be there because they're, they're in the presence of a really impressive architect, but he doesn't, or she, doesn't know how to walk them through the process because they just know what's in their head. They don't know how to break it down. And then you might have someone who's a really great teacher, but they've never really created something monumental. But they know how to create other really great architects because they know how to build up others. So I think there's a difference between being able to build something personally and being able to... Um, shelter and encourage others to greatness. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a man or woman thing. I think that's just an inherent personality thing. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely agree with you. I, I, there, is, there is something to say. I mean, it is, uh, is it International Women's Month? Or it definitely yes. was International <laughs> Women's Day. Um, was it last week? Well, it was the 8th. Mm -hmm. um, so j there is something to say about there is sort of a, a perspective uh, from onlookers, wherever they may be, whoever they are, it could be men, it could be women, that there's a perception that maybe some should not be able to do something well because they are a man or a woman, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but what I like about your perspective is that just find out, just ask the question right. to see where their skill set is right. and uh, build upon it. Right. <laughs> and if they don't have it, give them the tools so they can create that and if they still can't go there, find what they're good at mm -hmm. and put them in a role where they succeed. Because not everyone's meant for every role. Not everyone's meant to be at the front of the chorus line. Some people are supposed to be in the orchestra pit supporting them, and you need both. Mm -hmm. uh, did you always have this perspective? How did yes. you kind of, yeah. Yes. And I, again, I think this really goes back to how I was raised the schooling I went to as a young child, just always fostering this, you could do anything, you could be anything, 
It's you. It's completely on you. And if you don't get it, you must not want it. Mm-hmm. Or you haven't worked hard enough for it. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's so simple. Um, but I think there, there's definitely something to say that pe- people need to start recognizing this as, as, as a conscious thought. It sometimes is very subconscious. People have subconscious bias. Right. And I think that's why we have these conversations. Right. To just kind of bring awareness to the fact that, guess what? It's just that simple. Right. <laughs> you have to want it enough. You have to work hard enough for it. And sometimes you have to wait for it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, I, ha- I have questions here. And, okay. <laughs> and I'm just kind Whatever of thinking through. I'm just kind of thinking through. Um, I just love that perspective. Um, well, it appears you like the challenge. Right? Absolutely. You like the challenge no matter what it is. You're a woman. If you were a man, you'd like the challenge the same yeah, way. Absolutely. Well, tell me, tell me what you like about the challenge. The challenge about enjoying challenge or about... My daily, weekly work challenge. Whatever way you'd like to go. Um, what I like about challenge in general is that I think it gives, whether I'm the only person seeing it as a challenge or other people are, I feel it gives me a chance to prove what I know, prove my worth, even if, again, it's just to myself, and go, okay, yeah, I've accomplished something. I, I, I deserve to be here today because mm-hmm. I've done something good. Um, or I fixed a problem. And again, not everyone wants to be a problem solver. Not everyone is inherently, that's what they want to do. But um, that is in my nature to want to fix, to make better, to help other people learn how to fix and make better so they can go on and create their own fixers and make her better people. (laughs) Um, As far as what I like about the challenges in my personal uh, work environment, um, it's that I have this really incredible team that has sort of that same spirit, that same, we want to do it better than we did the day before. We want to make the client happy. We want to create a great environment for them. Mm-hmm. We, we want more, we want better, and we're enjoying what we're doing. And so that, that part's not a challenge at all because it's a great team to work with. Um, our clients are, whether it's challenging good, challenging bad, there's a challenge there that even if it's challenging bad, it's still an opportunity to learn and to make it better the next time. So you're definitely not of the mindset that if it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, and I'm some, just saying, there, there are people who, who approach things that way. And there know? are certain things that, yeah. hey, you know, this worked last time let's do it again mm-hmm. it, because that would be silly not to. If you found something that works and that's a time saver, it would be silly to completely reinvent it every single time. But at least take a step back and go, are we doing it for the right reasons? Yeah. Are we repeating this for the right reasons or are we repeating because we're lazy? Mm. If it's because we're lazy, then do something different. If it's because it's the right reasons, make the decision and move on because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's something else bigger waiting for you. Yeah, and, and that brings us back to... You may not you may not know you're doing this, but the plan do, plan do check, act, approach. You're you're reviewing every time. It seems you're taking a moment to step back and and uh, just take it in, assess, review, and and 
make small incremental improvements if right. necessary. It, it's it's yeah. about not making assumptions. Mm-hmm. It's the, the s- things that might be standard. So a standard set of notes on a document. Even if they're 100% standard, just read over them just one quick time to make sure there's something, everything in there is applicable. Mm-hmm. Just take the time, because it's a lot easier to fix it before it goes out. Mm-hmm. My, something my dad said to me is, if there's time to fix it, there's time to do it right the first time. So do it right the first time. So that's what we did. That's so lean in, in the, <laughs> the way that you approach it. Yeah, I was so lucky. That's awesome. I have really great parents. I really did. <laughs> that is definitely fortunate to have that wisdom kind of passed down to you. Okay, well, uh, what excites you about leading your team? Um, I feel like I'm repeating what I said is that I, I don't feel like I have to lead them yeah. because, I mean, yeah, you're always – instructing and supporting or answering questions or guiding, but it's not like I'm never pulling them because they're running alongside. I feel like, I feel like they're pushing me. I feel like mm-hmm. how good they are. I need to be better in not because to show off, but like I need to, I need to be better than I am, not better than them, better than I am. So they're still proud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think drives them? I mean, obviously, you hire, you make, you make the effort I to make the hire, right, yeah. to 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 get the right people in place, right? But what what makes you think? I mean, just kind of doing a general overview. What what do you think? Like, makes them driven. I would guess similar reasons. Um, they are problem solvers. They are, I don't want to say people pleasers because that has a really negative connotation, but they, they want to do the right job. They want to see clients in better environments that work smarter for them. Um, and they care about each other. Mm-hmm. They care about the clients. They... Um, they don't want to left, they don't want to leave something undone. What about the environment that is created here allows for that that mentality to evolve and take place? I think it has to do with that caring nature that okay, um, we're on however many different teams. Team A is swamp, team B is light. Team C and Team D, they're just sort of floating along, just perfect at a level pace. Well, everyone sees that Team A is completely swamped, so they they don't need anyone to tell them. They just automatically jump in and go, hey, I can help you for a couple hours here, so you're not here till midnight, and we're both only here till 7 o'clock. And because they inherently hope that someone would do that for them, and they do. So it's just more of a I make this better for you. It makes it better for all of us. The firm looks better, mm-hmm. and we all elevate together. So there is that bit of a autonomy to go ahead and, and take responsibility and help. I oh, mean, <laughs> everyone everyone has their individual responsibility, and it, it's not given to them. Everyone has taken it. Everyone has owned it. Um, we might sometimes say, okay, uh, who wants to take this? Who wants to take this? just at the beginning of a project, but so it, a lot of the times it just automatically happens. Hey, I'm going to take this. Okay, great, I'm going to take this. Or, hey, you know, I haven't had a chance to work on this kind of thing. 
can I try this next time? Absolutely. It's yours. Go learn it. Go own it. So it's a, there's a really open dialogue of what do you want to learn next? Mm-hmm. What have you not had a chance to experience yet? How can we um, either help mentor you? How can we help you develop professionally? What can we do to make this experience better? Because if we are helping the staff become better, if we are helping the staff develop, they feel more fulfilled, and that ownership will inherently be in there, and that way the client is served better, and again, the whole group, the whole firm, continues to elevate. Mm-hmm. One question it sounds like you're asking as, as, a, as a leader of the team is, how can you help them? Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like it's coming back around as to how can they then help you oh, yeah. or the company at large and yeah. then client. And it's kind of a, re- it sounds like it's a revolving circle, mm-hmm. if you will. Absolutely. Um, and that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. What that allows is their voice to be heard. Definitely. Um, I think part of it also goes to at least the culture of this firm. And I won't say this is industry wide. But um, the ownership of our firm, they reside in New York. The firm, Ted Buddhist Associates, we were um, formed in New York and came to Chicago about 15 years ago. However, Ted started this company in 1990, and he started with just a handful of people, and it's grown, it's grown, it's grown, but he's still, obviously, he's an active member of the firm he's there every day I mean that's he's not like one of the the namesakes of other firms that you have no idea who they are Ted is there um but he and his business partner Chris they um treat this almost like it's a family firm because it is it's it's a it's a corporation but you feel their genuine um interest in you they feel that they want you to succeed they they're when you go and you Sometimes I'll go to New York for a day or two to work there for whatever reason. Um, business reason, or I'm doing something personal in New York on the weekend. Hey, can I work out in New York for a Friday? And everyone has that equality to do that. People come to Chicago and work out of the Chicago office. But you have this genuine understanding that they're interested in you. They, oh, you're in New York for the <laughs> I went to New York for a weekend with some girlfriends, um, gosh, years ago. And it was a completely personal visit. I took a couple days off and we were doing the sites and whatever. And then I came back to Chicago and I was on the phone with ownership in New York. And I said, oh yeah, I was there this weekend. You were here this weekend? I'm like, oh yeah, I was there Thursday, Friday and seeing the town with my girlfriends. They're like, well, why didn't you stop in? I'm like, oh, I was there with a whole bunch of my girlfriends from college. They're like, but you could have stopped in. We, we would have liked to meet them. Or, I felt like I had like gone home during college and not said hi to my parents. <laughs> but... <laughs> There's this this genuine caring about the staff. You're not just a staff member. You're part of the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that, again, that top-down feeling resides throughout every layer of the firm. That speaks volumes. Uh, I I think that's, that's the type of culture that you want to run through an organization because it, it translates to how you produce work for your clients as well. Uh, that genuine desire to help and, and care, it, it, yeah. it just 
it's there, and, and people can recognize that. I'm going on my 12th year here. Yeah. And I'm having fun. I'm excited. I The clients are provoking and interesting, and Ted and Chris are supporting to me, and the staff, we help each other out as I've gone through, and it's it's a good experience, and I'm so excited to be here. That's awesome. All right, a couple quick questions about innovation. Sure. How are you integrating BIM or any other technologies into your organization? So um, Revit is something that we work in. Um, and not every project, I'll say, I, I don't feel that every project may be appropriate for Revit. I think there are some projects that are just so tiny and small that you may not need it. I can see the savings that it creates. Um, for example, when we we break out a project, we have so many hours to do a project. When we break it out, you have so much time to do the initial upfront programming and then so much time to do schematic design, design development, construction documents, et cetera, et cetera. And we pay attention to that. How much time did we actually spend doing each one? And then we look back at it. Okay, this project, okay, we were high in design, but less time in CDs or whatever it might have been. And a recent project that we did in Revit, um, very, very high design project, very complicated, not so much complicated, but intricately detailed. Um, we're cutting out a slab, we're adding this pretty impressive um, staircase that is hanging, being supported, hanging from a ceiling. Um, and we did this project in Revit, or at least architecturally we did, and um, our hours for construction documentation way low. When on something that's this detailed, you would think that it would have been higher. It, it would have been accepted for it to be over hours. But we were under hours, and we probably spent more time doing it than we really needed to because of all doing all those details, and we were still under the hours we needed to be. Mm-hmm. But I completely attribute that to the fact that we did it in Revit, and there were so many time savers just in pulling up elevations, details, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh do them hire your MEPs uh, separately? Do they integrate into the same model? Or so do they we don't, al- we don't always specifically hire the MEPs since yeah. it's the client who hires the MEPs. Sure. Um, whether they choose to do it in Revit or not, mm-hmm. something we can always force on them. It'd be great if they did. That would be a really nice holistic attitude, especially since like having the stare or having... Um, a movable wall that has above ceiling support and there's um, ductwork going through there would be great to pre-coordinate because that's the purpose of it. Um, <laughs> but yes, you can't always control um, consultants that are not your direct hires. Fair enough. So, so have you had the experience then to, to collaborate in that way um, with your engineering? Unfortunately, no, I have not. Okay. It would be great if we could. This would be a perfect project to do it on. Yeah. Um, but it, it did not happen. So we, because of that, though, we are seeing instances in the field where we're having to old school it and troubleshoot in the field because it wasn't pre-coordinated because okay. they didn't do it in the um, they didn't do it in Revit when we w- could have caught it. So we're catching it and we're fixing it, yeah. but we could have skipped that step and it would have been really nice. It would have felt good. How does that make you feel? As as it a 
an efficient office. <laughs> oh gosh, we're, we're kicking, we're, we're kicking um, the air because we feel like we missed this awesome opportunity. Yeah. But okay, next time, next time, yeah. next time we'll yeah. again. It's okay. Kick yourself for like thirty seconds, and then you go, okay. Well, could we have controlled it? Well, we could have made a stronger request. We could have done this. Okay, we'll do that next time. Move mm-hmm. on. Don't mm-hmm. feel bad anymore. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Because the feeling bad doesn't do anything. <laughs> no, very, very true. Um, but at the same time, yeah, creating creating the opportunity and making those recommendations. You yeah. know, you can, that's that's how you're going to do it next time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, let's see here. Do you have any recommendations for for teams that want to be more collaborative and innovative um you guys have been successful at being quite a collaborative team merely because of the fact that you you ask that question how can I help yeah right you're asking how can I provide for you as far as training are there any process improvements that we can review here or what do you what do you want yeah what do you want I mean we try to meet quarterly with um, the staff so we can have these 10 questions or whatever it might be of how's everything going how do you feel what do you want what's next what was your favorite thing that happened this quarter what do you want to see happen next quarter what do you want to do um, and I think that 10 minute meeting it doesn't have to be anything really long just taking that so everyone knows they have a voice and everyone knows even if they, they didn't know it and they should know it, that they can ask for what they want. And you don't get, people don't just hand you things. You don't always have, to, you don't have to demand it, you don't have to stomp on the floor, but you have to at least ask. You have to know what you want first. Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask for it. Because if you don't ask for it, no one knows that you want that. Are those quarterly meetings on, in an open form or are they individually, uh, are you meeting individually? One on one. Okay. Yeah. Is there any open form type of type of meeting that that you do such a question and answer? So every form? Monday morning we meet just to go over what's going on in the week, yeah. and it's more of a, a staffing what's going on socially. What do we have going on? Mm-hmm. Anything that we all need to know? Okay, you're going to be out. Okay, how do we staff up? How do we support that? Etc. How do we make your life easier? How do we make our lives easier? Um, but again, that's more of a nuts and bolts staffing kind of thing. Um, we do have open forums, um, design teams, technical teams, hey, what's going on, what's this, and that is actually um, across office, across uh, Chicago, New York, video conferencing. Okay. It happens, um, there's no state or time, it's more, hey, let's just meet, and it happens every once in a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Are there any obstacles that you've faced um, in, in trying to promote that dialogue? No. No, um, as far as the quarterly meetings, it was interesting. We were not exactly doing them quarterly, but we were doing them sporadically. And then um, our ownership said, you know, we want to officially do this quarterly. We're like, great, we were already doing it. Now this will, now that you've requested it, now it's going to force us to be more direct with it and more on time with it, more consistent with it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of fell into the pattern that we were already doing um, and just formalized it, which was great. So, no, I have... No, that's fortunate. Yeah. I, and I think we can learn from the concept of just doing things consistently. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
ask this again, ask the question, is there anything you can improve? Make sure you're doing it consistently, making small tweaks here yeah. and there. I mean, that speaks to the value that you have in, in the people that you're asking mm-hmm. that question to, your Definitely. your employees directly. And then, you know, I'm sure that translates to your clientele as well. Well, uh, the last question that I have for you okay. is how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to ask you questions about management, innovation, leadership? Certainly. Yeah. So um, they can always email me at the office, and that email address is dpisoni, so D-P-I-S as in Sam, O-N as in Nancy, E, at tedmudis.com, T-E-D-M-O-U. D-I-S. And I can go ahead and put that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much, You're very welcome. I've had such an awesome time just having this conversation (laughs) with you. I love your personality and your attention to efficiency. That's something that I think that you and I definitely <laughs> appreciate without a doubt yeah and 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 i and i really think that our listeners are, are going to appreciate it so. wonderful i'm glad thank you for having me i really enjoyed having this conversation with diana she demonstrates the plan do check act process and the way she approaches work ultimately if you don't measure you cannot improve she has an insightful way to approach this and we can learn a lot from her thank you diana If you have enjoyed this interview and are interested in Workplace, you might also be interested in our three-part series dedicated to co-working with Wendy Spreenberg. Check out the first of three at constructor.com slash 11. Don't forget to subscribe at constructor.com. That's constructrr.com to get email updates on new podcast episodes. You can also subscribe at iTunes, and we are now available on Stitcher. Also, if you'd like to suggest an interview, go to the About the Show tab at constructor.com and suggest an interview. We want to make this podcast continuously valuable for the constructor audience, but I need your help. So suggest an interview or topic that you're interested in. Thanks again. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys next week.